Great to have you on board with us on this podcast. My name is Liam West and I'm a member of the BGSM editorial team. You've tuned in to learn more about the consequences of inadequate energy availability for your athletes. Therefore, we're extremely lucky to have Dr. Kate Ackerman on the podcast, who's a leading voice in this area. A former national rower, Kate now balances clinical and research roles within sports medicine, sports endocrinology, and specifically issues related to the female athlete triad. So thanks for coming onto the podcast and sharing your expertise with the listeners today, Dr. Ackerman. Thank you for having me. Great. So many of our BGSM readers and listeners look after athletes where the use and, I guess, abuse of nutrition is a daily struggle for them. So I'm here with you at the South African Sports Medicine Congress in the beautiful city of Cape Town, where these issues have been covered by yourself and other speakers. For those that couldn't attend, I guess, let's shine the light on energy availability or the lack of it for athletes. So can you take us through a brief history of the female athlete tried and where this relative energy deficiency syndrome, red S, comes in. Sure, so female athlete triad has been around for a while in terms of um, acknowledging it. So back in 1992, the American College of Sports Medicine had a consensus meeting and they termed this, they coined this term triad. And back then it really was considered disordered eating with or without an eating disorder, amenorrhea, and osteoporosis, and that's how it was described in their first consensus statement in 1997. As more research accumulated, by 2007 they did a new consensus statement, and they really did a good job describing how the triad is really more of a continuum along three spectra. So in this new model, it was basically, you could go from having optimal energy availability, eumenorrhea, and optimal bone health, to having low energy availability with disordered eating or eating disorder, amenorrhea, and osteoporosis, and people could fall somewhere in between. And then in 2014, um, a group of people from the ACSM came up with return to play guidelines to really help guide the clinician about when somebody should be restricted for some, from sport, when they should get a little bit more of a workup and just have some provisional or limited uh, allowance to do sport, and when they were perfectly cleared. Uh, so that statement came out in 2014. Then so when we talk about REDS, um, the International Olympic Committee had also done a female athlete triad statement in the past, and around the same time as that um, position statement in 20, or the return to play guidelines in 2014, the REDS IOC group came up with an update. They were asked to update their triad statement. And the people in that group decided that potentially there should be an expansion of the triad model, and maybe triad was a subset of uh, another issue. Um, so they wanted to broaden the term and actually say that low energy availability happens to others. Um, it can happen to men, it can happen to disabled athletes. Um, they really wanted to make the point that there are other health consequences. Um, and some of those, you know, certainly we've talked about bone health and that can kind of fit in as a little triangle within the REDS model. But there are other endocrine abnormalities, thyroid function, there are metabolic issues, hematologic issues, there may be effects on growth and development. Uh, psychological issues can play a role in causing REDS and also can be um, a consequence of REDS. There are cardiovascular uh, effects. We know that there's effects with um, vasodilatation of, of arteries. GI, GI effects, immunologic effects. So they really wanted to emphasize that even though the triad statements before had mentioned that there were other consequences, they wanted to really bring those other ones to light a little bit more firmly. And then they wanted to address performance. So sometimes we can get more buy-in with athletes if we talk about the performance consequences. And so that can be a lot of different things from impaired judgment or decreased concentration or irritability or decreased muscle strength, decreased endurance performance and recovery. 
So they came up with this concept. Um, they came up with these two circles, one that showed health consequences, one that showed uh, potential performance consequences. And they thought of it really as an expansion. Incredible overview. Uh, and just as for the listeners there, we will link to these different papers in the podcast blurbs if you want to read it at your leisure. So there's a creation of the REDS literature now. Should we be chucking the female athlete tried in the bin or does it still have a role to play? Well, I think that really depends who you ask. My personal opinion is that they're both important. Um, as many people have realized, there's been a little bit of a feud and some controversy about this. Um, there's no question that Barbara Drinkwater's Sentinel work uh, back in the 80s really brought all of this to fruition, and so we can't thank her enough. And since then, there have been decades of research done by other great researchers as well. Um, so we can't dismiss the fact that Triad has a lot of really good backing and it's very good data. Um, and I don't think we need to replace the term. I really think that uh, REDS is just an expansion on it. We can think of Triad as a subset in that health consequences. Um, and so I think it's okay to use both. I think we use them a little bit differently. Um, you know, I think that there was some criticism that the REDS paper didn't perfectly explain the pathophysiology. Um, some didn't like how the terms energy availability were sometimes that term was interchanged with uh, energy balance. Sometimes the, they were upset because the diagrams that were used didn't really explain causative pathways to the various consequences. And there was you know, um, some criticism that there wasn't enough research to really back up all of these different consequences. But I think the REDS authors and others would argue that these are things that people have seen clinically. Some of these circles have some really good data. Others need more work. And I think that REDS paper um, was a call to action. It really was the IOC and those authors saying, hey, there's this is... This is something that happens to a lot of people and there are a lot of different consequences. We need to um, be emphasizing those and we really need to be doing more research in that field. So I do think that there's a role for both and I hope that we can um, get comfortable using both terms. Two very good models. We can use them both. I like that. Where to next for this area of research and helping the listener, the clinician, the, the person at the cold face? Well, I really think that we all need to be collaborating on this. There are some very smart researchers and clinicians and clinician scientists, and we need to work together because we're passionate about this. You know, often with controversy um, that's based um, on the fact that everybody is passionate about it. So we need to be working together. I personally am a member of both groups now. Um, I wasn't in the beginning with the REDS group, but now I am, and I've been a member of the Triad Coalition for a while. And I personally will only stay involved with each if the science is good, if it's clinically relevant and practical, if the groups make room for new talent and interest, and honestly, if, if everybody's civil and logical in their discussions. Um, I'm a sports endocrinologist, so my goal is really to convince younger mentees to pursue sports endocrine and triad and REDS research. We really need more research. We don't want to turn people off from investing in the topic and devoting careers to this really important work, so we have to come together and, and keep pushing the science forward. I do think that more research is coming out. Um, we shouldn't get caught so much up on the, the terminology, and we need to be studying more men, we need to be studying effects on bone health, we need to be a, a uh, studying more effects on performance. Um, so there's a lot of really good work to do, and I think it's exciting that there's so many opportunities to just take little parts of these different models and really expand on them and focus work on them. In terms of treating patients, uh, for me personally, I know that with men, it's nice to have a term to use for them um, and to say to somebody, 
okay, I think you might inadvertently not be eating enough calories for what you're trying to do with your sport. Um, relative energy deficiency in sport, REDS or RED-S is a thing and it certainly can apply to you. And then when I'm talking to the athlete about that and I can use that model and show them some of the performance consequences that are potentially happening, um, or we can use different biomarkers besides just the um, gonadal hormones. We can see a suppressed white blood cell count or we might see um, abnormal thyroid function. Those are just extra tools. They're extra ways to make our point. So we're getting to a broader audience. We're getting to male athletes. And sometimes an athlete's more interested in their performance or they're more interested in their ferritin level or they're more interested in some of these other things because they don't quite see the, the effect of having low bone density or they haven't had a stress fracture yet. So I think clinically, um, both of these models just give us more things to use to try to get patients better and really emphasizing that the center of both of them is the low energy availability and we have to um, address that decreased energy. Great call to action there. And you started to come on to some of the practical tips for the clinician. Until this further research and collaboration is probably achieved, can you give us some of your sort of tips, clinical pearls on how you get the athlete to buy in to the fact that they might need to increase their energy availability? Is, is there any anything you've got in your toolbox that we could use? Well, I can't emphasize enough that it needs to be a team approach. Um, people always feel a little more buy-in when they're working with experts and when people have the same goals in mind. So I always tell my patients that I also want them to do really well. I also care about their performance. I want them to feel good. I want them to enjoy it. And I want them to do well in their sport. And so when they see that it's not necessarily a punitive thing, but that we're trying to get them to a better place, and then I can bring in some great colleagues who have the expertise in, in dietetics and sports. Um, nutrition and I can bring in the sports psychologist. I tell my athlete patients that they're really fortunate that they have these resources available and they really should take advantage of them. And then as I'm more optimistic and, and positive about it, I think they start to believe it a little bit more. So you can't go into it kind of bring it all in at once at one visit and attacking the patient with this low energy availability. Um, really I kind of they present to me because they've had an injury. Or they present to me because someone has flagged them and I try to go slowly and get as many other people on the team as I can so that the patient feels supported and they get that this is all to make them healthier and a better athlete. If the clinician doesn't have that team around them, should they refer the athlete to a specialist straight away? I don't know that they need to be moved on to someone else because I no. think the sports doctor is very important. You know, Often female athletes who don't get their menstrual cycle will see a non-sports physician or they'll see somebody who doesn't know enough about this topic and they're just put on the birth control pill or they're told that it's normal to be an athlete and not get a menstrual cycle so pulling yourself out of the treatment isn't necessarily the answer I think people can have, wear a lot of different hats so certainly there's formal training you know I'm an endocrinologist but there are plenty of great doctors that are not endocrinologists that completely understand this topic so there's an opportunity to read more. Um, I think most good clinicians have to act a little bit like psychologists at times, so um, that's important as well that you are going to be doing some counseling in these visits. Um, but if we see people that truly need professional help from a, a psych standpoint, 
it's our job to bring in other people in the community. A lot of my patients see various providers that are not necessarily very sports-minded, and, and we've just kind of caught up with each other and taught each other things. So I'm learning about more psych tricks, and they're learning more about sports medicine and endocrine. So I think we just have to get people more comfortable and more informed about this, and then you'd be surprised who you can actually get on your treatment team. They don't need to be working in your center. Um, even getting the coach to buy into it and, and having them more educated. All of these different people can help the process even if they don't have the perfect degree and they're not right in your office. So I think it would be crazy of me not to try and bring in sports endocrinology seeing as we've got you on the line. Can you just give the listener a bit of a overview of how important endocrinology is to an athlete and the impact it can have? So that's a long topic. Uh, earlier I gave a topic talk that was hormones and performance in 15 minutes. So it's rough because obviously there's a lot of different hormones, but I think the main point to be made is in a topic like this in triad or REDS, it's not just about estrogen. Um, it's not just about testosterone in males. Actually, um, estrogen affects males as well in terms of their bone. But when we just talk about sort of those interrelationships of components of the triad, um, estradiol certainly is suppressed in amenorrheic athletes, but low energy availability leads to many disruptions. So it can lead to decreased estradiol, decrease in androgens, decrease in IGF-1, which is a form of growth hormone, a decrease in leptin, um, an increase in fasting PYY and cortisol and ghrelin and growth hormone resistance. So these are all things that play a part in metabolic bone, and it's not just about one hormone. And we certainly know in terms of performance that a lot of different hormones play into body composition and muscular hypertrophy and temperature. You know, there's so many different things. Sounds like we're already just scratching the surface. Is there anywhere that you could point the list in the direction to learn a little bit more about sports endocrinology if they wanted to? So there are some good position statements and review articles. We have an update that came out this year with the Endocrine Society that was about functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, and it talks about some of this. Um, there have been some review papers about the endocrine system um, that you can look up. So I think there are a couple books that have talked about female athletes and talked about the endocrine system in sport. So it just is uh, about finding some of those review articles and going through and trying to dig in a little. I'll make that a little bit easier and link those review articles in the blurb for this podcast. Thank you very much for your time and your expertise on the podcast, Dr. Ackerman. Thank you. Happy to do it. So you've been listening to a BGSM podcast, and please do go through our app to find more recordings that might be of interest to you. There are over 200 of them now. If you want to hear Dr. Ackerman talk more about Red S, you should check out the Australian College of Sport and Exercise Physicians Conference, which is happening between the 9th and the 11th of February in 2018 on the Gold Coast in Australia. She'll be talking about this and a second talk on transgender athletes. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and that you get to have a physically active day full of just the right amount of energy.